there was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. When you think about running through the tee at Nayland Stadium for the first time this Saturday, does that give you a little bit of chicken skin? A little bit of what? A chicken skin, you know. You know what I'm making reference to when I say chicken skin? You're a southern boy. You got no idea. Dobbs heaves it. They're bunched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. Kentucky week in Tennessee time. Which means, thank God it's not Charlotte week time time, whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, West Rucker, Patrick Brown, coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio, recording this on a Thursday afternoon, probably going to drop it to you on a Friday morning, there's a chance we drop it on Thursday night, a much greater chance that we drop it on Friday morning, as per the usual. Patrick, how are we doing today? We're doing good. That's all I have to add. It's a good good Thursday. Got to get a tiny bit more sleep in than usual. Thursday's a, a good usual usually a, a good early, you know, not too early morning for us. Not too much to go do. So it's a little bit better than the first few days of the week. First few days of the week, pretty hectic. A lot of stuff going on. Although as soon as I get done recording this, I'm going over to join Ramey at basketball practice today. So not quite a it's basketball season is underway. Yeah, it's that time of the year where it's... Uh, and it's Zion Williamson's world. Yes, it is. Holy cow, he is good. To make Kentucky look that bad, oh boy. Cal and, always has a way of getting Kentucky where he needs to get him by the end of the season. Yeah, it's, but, it's but, November. Let's but, not push the panic button. But, but let's, let's, let's set the DVR for every Duke game, though. Yeah, I think that was more about Duke than it was Kentucky to me. I, I, could, be, I could be wrong, but it looked much more to me like, like Duke... Uh, being good than Kentucky being necessarily bad, but it is basketball season, which means that uh, there's a lot, lot going on, and uh, that means my wife is not very happy <laughs> because <laughs> when it's when there's not football going on, there's basketball going on for the next little bit. So that is that time of year. But you know what? That means uh, it is a great time of the year to be a fan because if you're a Tennessee fan, you've got two. You know, the two most visible sports, really the three most visible sports going on at the same time with football, men's basketball, and women's basketball. So tons, tons going on and a lot to be excited about. Yeah. Uh, As I didn't silence my phone. The uh, man, basketball team, they got a lot of athletes on that team. They're going to be they're going to be really good. Yeah, it's fun. it's kind of been fun, and we'll discuss this just a little bit because we're not having a basketball pod I'm not this the week. Hashtag per, basketball guy. Yeah, we're not having a basketball pod this week per se, so it's fine to to get some of this stuff out of the way first. Uh, Tennessee did what it was supposed to do against Lenore Ryan to open the basketball season, and uh, as Patrick said, has a 
has a lot of athletes. Tennessee is not necessarily what you would call the tallest team in, in college basketball, but, but it's got, um, you know, as Rick Barnes says, I do like length. He's got a lot of length on that team, got a lot of speed on that team, got a lot of athleticism on that team, and enough size for sure. So that is going to be fun. I'm not saying that Tennessee is going to be sitting there changing, we want Duke, we want Duke at every timeout. But I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a really good basketball team. I, I think it, there, there's a chance. I've covered a couple of really good Tennessee basketball teams, like an Elite Eight team. Uh, another team that probably should have gone that far. I don't know that I've covered a better one than this one. This one's got the potential to be – it's got every piece. You know? I mean, it, it's got – if Jordan Bone's going to play as locked in as he's looked pretty much all off season and through the, the exhibition in the first game of the season, that's going to be really good news for Tennessee because he is the X factor. I know they've got – you know, the SEC Player of the Year in Grant Williams, another star in Schofield, uh, Sixth Man of the Year in Lamonte Turner, who's fine. Don't worry about his shoulder right now. I think he's going to be all right. Uh, they've got so many great, you know, Eve Pond showing up and just is an unbelievable athlete. Still got Jordan Bowden being steady and doing his thing. You got Fulke coming off the bench throwing throwing bows and getting all over loose balls and doing the agitator stuff he does. Doing the hustle plays. He's got a great motor. The grit. Coach on the field. Yeah. All those, all those white man, yeah, all, all those white player things, all those, all those big white man things. But he's, he's got. Um, it looks like his shoulders are finally starting to feel better, and he's had a full year in the offseason conditioning program under Garrett Meadenwald, who, by the way, might be the MVP of this Tennessee basketball team. If you look at just the way those guys look, I mean, that is a big, strong, physical basketball team. Uh, you're not going to be able to push those guys off the block very easy. Th- those guys are are tough. And poor Lenore Ryan had no chance. <laughs> you walk, They had 11 shots blocked in the game. It was brutal. Uh, and those guys, I mean, they're, they're a D2 team. It is what it is. Rick Barnes was giving his alma mater a nice check to start the season. Uh, and also said some nice things about the university afterward. And it was good to see Rick Barnes, you know, he's talking about my university, our university, and he's talking about Lenore Ryan because that's where he went to school. So, Good to see that stuff. Uh, and Grant and I will probably have a football or a basketball pod next week because Tennessee uh, plays Louisiana on Friday night. The artist formerly known as Ooh La La, the Raging Cajuns. And uh, then Tennessee plays Georgia Tech and really gets things started in earnest uh, next week. So Grant and I will have plenty to discuss there. Uh, as for now, though, Patrick, on to football, which – uh, is not scoring points as often as the Tennessee basketball team is right now. Uh, Tennessee, a fourteen to three what fourteen to three winner over Charlotte on Saturday at a uh, sparsely populated Neyland Stadium. But Patrick, a win's a win. No one should apologize for it. Tennessee's not good enough right now to apologize for for performances if they win games. Um, what do we make of fourteen to Tennessee? three to Charlotte. What do we make of that? Uh, we make about it that we don't need to spend a whole lot of time talking about it. Because, Agreed. Uh, it was just a bad game. Yeah. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think Tennessee's offense is that bad. I don't think Tennessee's offensive line is that bad. But it's not good to begin with, and they played really bad. And so this is the result you get. And you played a team that, I mean, we talked about it last week. Charlotte was sixth in the country in run defense. I mean, uh, I know it's a you know level of competition, all that stuff. But, you know, if you can stop the run, you can stop the run. I mean, 
Uh, if you got if you got defense, that many juniors and seniors this, on this, it. This isn't this isn't a great comparison, but like uh, the option teams are always in the top five, top ten in rushing. They run on everybody. Yeah, you know, even if they're playing, you know, it's not a bad really tough schedule because I mean, if you can, if you if you're good at stopping the run, you're good at stopping the run. If you, uh, they got a lot of veterans on that on that defense. But at the same time, though, if you're Tennessee, you're wondering, man, Appalachian State put up 45 on those guys. Uh, UMass had 49. So I mean, it's not a great look, but uh, I think Charlotte's bad offense uh, contributed to a lot of those giving up a lot of points in those games. T- Tennessee's offense has had two like decent games this year. It was Auburn and South Carolina, and then they had a really craptastic game against Charlotte. They're they're probably not as good as they showed in those first two games, and they're probably not as bad as they showed last week. The, the truth is like usually somewhere in the middle, typically, and so typically, um, the question is is in these last three games, can Tennessee get their offense and defense to have decent days on the same day because we've seen them kind of have uh, the defense. I thought the defense played pretty good. I it mean, did. they weren't great, but they were, they were good enough. Um, didn't give a lot of explosive plays, got off the field third down. I think kept, than, they kept Charlotte in front of them. less than hundred yards in the second half. I mean, if you, give, if you get on under 250 yards and only three points, that's, I don't know how you don't call that a pretty good day on defense. Yeah, and LeMay's statistically what one of the top fifteen or twenty running backs in college football in terms of numbers in Tennessee. I don't know if he's that high. I think he was like third in conference USA. I thought so he was, he's productive. I thought he was like in the top twenty or so. No. He might be. I don't know. Well, he averages something like ninety ninety two yards or something like that a game, and Tennessee uh, held him to eighty nine yards on a bunch of carries. I think he had about three. Yards a carry, 3.5 yards a yeah, carry. Yeah, it was less than four, which is pretty good. So, Tennessee did the job on defense. Um, I thought, and this is one thing we need to mention, we need to discuss this about the Charlotte game, and then we can move on to more pressing matters. But, Patrick, I, I, for the life of me, for the life of me, I still don't understand. And I, I understand part of it. I shouldn't say that. But why people are still saying that Tennessee needs a quarterback change i don't i don't well, understand that you look you look at the numbers the, from that game that's the no offense that's the uneducated opinion well i think that's like the lowest common like it's the easiest fix because it's the most obvious it's the most hope high profile position well if the offense isn't working it's got to be the quarterback it could be a myriad of other things and for tennessee it's not even really a myriad things. It's the offensive line. The offensive line has been a mess. By the way, kudos for correct use of myriad. People say myriad of things, and it's just myriad things. So you are you are properly educated. Uh, I'm not uneducated, I'm, and so I, that's why I'm not pushing for Tennessee to change quarterbacks. Yeah, um, I just I just I don't understand what Keller Chris has shown this year to make people think that he is a better option than Jerry Gantano. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I, I, was, I was stalling. We're, uh, we're 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 doing a disservice because we're we're bringing this up again. When we should be talking about well, no, the offense, I just I do want to mention that Jared Garantano did complete sixteen of twenty-one passes for one hundred seventy-two yards and a touchdown. And again, when you're rushing for only twenty yards against a team like Charlotte, you're you're hurting. But I will say two things: one, Garantano was sixteen of twenty-one for one seventy-two, looked pretty good. So did Josh Palmer and Dominic Wood Anderson back from that hamstring. Finally, looking pretty good. 
Uh, and secondly, I will say that uh, Ty Chandler was not able to do much in that game, and neither was Jawan Jennings. And when you take those two players out of the equation for Tennessee's offense, you're taking a big chunk of that offense away. And I think both of those guys, I can tell you for sure that Jawan Jennings is running around out there better this week. Uh, I've seen that with my own eyes. Uh, I've seen um, I've seen Chandler out there a little bit. I think he looks better than he did last week. So that would be big to get him back. And, and I would say whatever's bothering him, uh, have you met Toradol? I, I would give him a shot of Toradol and put him out there and see what he can do against the Kentucky Wildcats because, guys, Kentucky, pretty solid football team. Not – I still think you can make an argument. Maybe, Patrick, I'm, I'm wrong about this. It's hard for me, and not just because it's Kentucky. I think you could put any helmet, any – jersey on that team I'm not convinced that's one of the top dozen football teams in the country now you can only play the people in front of you and Kentucky has done that and Kentucky is seven and two Kentucky went to Florida and won which in hindsight is a great win you know it was it looked good at the time now it looks even better Um, you've got a team that is is just veteran laden a team that is okay on offense not really good but okay on offense really good on defense and a team that's seven and two so but but I don't think if I'm Tennessee I'm gonna say this and and I mean this I think Missouri is a scarier opponent for Tennessee than Kentucky is because Missouri is gonna score points and Tennessee is gonna have to score points to beat Missouri and Tennessee is not very good at scoring points but Kentucky has played in a lot of close games. Kentucky is not overwhelming on offense, although it does have a great player on offense that we'll talk about in a little bit. But I don't think this is a scary game for Tennessee. I think this is a game that if Tennessee goes out there and plays pretty well, it'll be right there in the fourth quarter with a chance to win the game. I really do believe that. Yeah, I wrote this in our in our matchups thing this week. It's it, it looks like a really bad matchup on paper because tennis uh, Kentucky would seem to have uh, two things that that are that are bad for Tennessee, and that that's one that's a really good defense, mm-hmm. uh, and and probably the best pass rusher in the in the SEC, and, and Josh Allen. This guy is uh, he's the real deal. Leads the SEC, six five. Leads the yeah. SEC in sacks, tackles for loss. He's forced five fumbles on the year. Uh, they're going to need to have two guys blocking them because their tackles aren't good enough to block that guy one-on-one. So, um, <clears throat> And if you've watched Tennessee's running backs try to pass protect yeah, this year. Yeah, it's not been good either, or Ooh the tight boy. ends for that matter. So, Ooh boy. Um, I wonder if Madre London should be out there a little bit just because he'll protect, he'll protect the passer a little bit. Uh, so that, that doesn't look good. Um, and Kentucky's got – you know they're, they're good at all levels. Um, so let's not – yeah, it's not demented. They're not just. It's not just a one man show. They got three really big guys. I think three hundred pound plus guys in the middle. Um, uh, active linebackers. Be, they're active because they've got those defensive linemen up there holding their gaps and doing their jobs. And they've got experience all throughout their secondary. Even though one draft pick back there too, a guy uh, who's pretty. Good yeah, Mike Edwards is probably the other NFL guy. Uh, they're not going to have Darius West, who's their leading tackler. He's going to be out for the first half. He got a targeting last week. I don't know if his targeting was more egregious than Alante Taylor's or not. I didn't see it. Um, that's been a whole big talking point this week. Jeremy Pruitt has gotten up on his soapbox about yeah. targeting. And I all just that. decided to to, as you can hear, uh, guys, we don't we don't need that. We don't need to. He, you just you guys just need to go read the Volcals uh, gallery this week. Uh, the Volcals uh, 
recap that we did. What if I told you I already wrote it on the on the to do list? Well, you need to scratch it off because people need <laughs> people, the people need to go see it for themselves. <laughs> um, but uh, you see, you got me off track. And, and the other the other half of it is is that Kentucky is really good running the ball, and Tennessee just got run all over by South Carolina. Now, they didn't get run all over by Charlotte, um, and I think that. Uh, they really focus a lot in practice last week on stopping a run-heavy team, which is what Charlotte was, and yeah. they've done the same this week. I mean, we've seen in practice, uh, I think on Tuesday, linebackers, it was almost like a walkthrough period. They were going through their run fits. Yeah, uh, The defensive backs were working on coming up and setting the edge uh, in the run game and, and beating their blockers and getting inside and making plays off the edge. So uh, if Tennessee can – if Tennessee can rise up to a physical challenge with their defense, they'll, they'll have, a, you know, they'll be able to give themselves a chance. But on the flip side of that being a bad matchup, it looks like maybe, as you pointed out, uh, not a scary game for Tennessee because Kentucky can't really score. I mean, they haven't scored more than 17 in a game. Not great at quarterback. Um, since the end of September when they scored 24 against South Carolina. They scored 14 at A&M, 14 against Vanderbilt, 15 against Missouri. Uh, and then 17 last week against Georgia when they were down big. Was it 28-3, I think, at one point? So, you know, they scored a couple touchdowns when the game was decided, more or less. Uh, and against Texas A&M and against Missouri, they had non-offensive touchdowns. They returned a fumble for a score against A&M and had a punt return for a score against Missouri. So some of their low-scoring numbers have not even come from the offense. So, uh, yeah, their, their passing game is really kind of hit and miss. Uh, I think Terry Wilson's their quarterback. He's a really good runner. Um <clears throat> And he's he's had some decent games throwing the ball. He's thrown he he's shown he can get the job done. But I mean, made some really big throws against but Florida. Three, three games ago against Vandy, he was like three of nine for eighteen yards. They tried to that replace was his him. whole that was his whole style line. And then two games ago, he got benched for a stretch before he came back in and uh, led them on that controversy aided final drive against Missouri. Yeah, that was uh, Kentucky won that game. That to me, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. Um, but there was part of me that was thinking when that when that PI was called on uh, Missouri that that completely ridiculous was phoned in from Birmingham. Yeah, it was a play that not only was it not DPI, it might have been OPI, and it was an uncatchable pass. It was a no call. So what it was. that was in that situation a hundred percent two way hand fighting. That is a yeah, but you know no you know. Call. But there was next week. SEC had it set up with the the semifinals. Basically, you had Bama playing LSU, and you you had um, Georgia playing Kentucky. And so you're sitting there going, "Okay, the Buff- the Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, Birmingham SEC office yeah. <laughs> coming in there. Um, let's let's give them another shot there." In, in Kentucky's defense, first of all, they've had enough crap luck in their football history. Oh God, yes, Charlie Brown trying to kick a football. <laughs> oh my but, God, you yes. know if they got a break that one time, you know it's all right. And then the other thing is that um, Missouri totally botched in that game anyway, so they kind of deserved whatever happened. They're just they, desserts. What, I'm just saying they had, Kentucky had one time out left. There's like a minute and a half left, and Missouri threw the ball for some. But you saw the next reason. You saw the very next week. Boy, Missouri went down to Gainesville and took it to. The Gators and the Swamp. They just went all over them. They got some problems down there this week. As as, as who, C- who kept saying all along that I, that they didn't think Florida was that good. Oh, yeah, that, that was me, wasn't it? It was you. Was it me? Seasons I was never seasons, a believer. Seasons undulate a lot. You can't you can't fool me, Felipe Franks. Yeah, that was, and they got some some issues down there with how him getting pulled out of the game and some of the reactions and just just they've got some issues down there to to get sorted out. But it looks like Felipe is going to start this week because. Uh, Kyle Trask, their backup, got hurt in practice. There you go. So, Felipe, I'm not uh, Thomas Goldcamp. They can't quit you, Felipe Franks. 
Thomas Goldcamp, our our team guy down in, in Gainesville for us. Uh, I think he I think he I think he might have broken that. A good guy who likes soccer but also likes <coughs> the band Creed, so I don't know how to justify <laughs> um, those two things. Uh he, he his report had said nothing along the lines of uh, of Trask getting Kerrigan. Yeah. Uh with Felipe Franks playing the part of Tanya Harding, but he just surmise what that about that what you will. Yeah, for some reason they were going through a non-contact yeah, injury. They're going through a quarterback drill, and all of a sudden Felipe Franks just a, pulled out a crowbar. Yeah, it was. A, I don't. How did he, he even took fit his it, helmet off? How did he fit straight it straight to the kneecap? How did he fit it in his football uniform? That, those are tight pants. How do you fit the crowbar in there? But yeah, they've got some some issues uh, down there. Speaking of things, things that are not very good, Patrick. Before we move on to talk about Kentucky, we do need to mention Tennessee. Uh, people have been talking about could Tennessee make a bowl game at five and seven because I think it's understandable if you're a Tennessee fan looking at those final three games and looking at those matchups on paper, you're going, I don't know how this team gets to six and six. If it does not get to six and six, if it wins one of the next three and gets to five and seven, uh, Patrick, what are the bowl chances for this Tennessee team? Uh, not great, Bob. Thank you for getting um, that but out. This, is, this, is, this was a thing – uh, and hopefully, the uh, lifeline or the, the life of this being a thing is is very short because it's not a, it's not we don't need to talk about it. Um, Jeremy Pruitt was asked. During How the, many things are you going to tell us we don't need to talk about today? <laughs> you just don't want to talk today, no, do you? No, I don't. Uh, the the, uh, the SEC <laughs> teleconference this week. Jeremy Pruitt was asked about would they accept a bowl uh, a bowl invite at five and seven, and Pruitt in very Pruitt fashion was like. Yep, we need all the practice we can get. We need all practice we can get. And then there was like the follow-up. He didn't like explicitly say absolutely, but then he was like, uh, the porter was like, so is that a yes? And Pruitt was like, well, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but but two things have to happen uh, for this to even be a, a scenario, and i got to pull up the research that I went down a rabbit hole looking up yesterday. Um, first of all, they need to have not enough six and six teams. Correct. To fill all the bowl slots. And there are a lot of bowl slots. I think there are 78 of them. Did we did we fi- did um, we finally figure it out it's 78 not 80? We had some It is we se- had some there was some discussion on that. It is 78 according to some things I was looking at yesterday. There are already 48 teams that are bowl eligible. And there are 29 that are one win away with three games left. And that's with three games now with two. Uh, so do your math right there. That's seventy-seven. So that that leaves only one spot, and then you have the other layer of this, which is the APR, because uh, that's how the, the the bowl slots are are filled. Now, if you're a five and seven team, you can decline it, but um, if you're a five and seven team with a good APR, you know, why not? Wait, did, did, in counting that was were things like Ole Miss counted? Because Ole Miss cannot. Well, uh, I'm getting to that. Uh, Tennessee is like in the 50s in APR, mm-hmm. and I was going through the teams ahead of them. There are 21 teams that are already bowl eligible. Mm-hmm. There are five more that have already lost eight games and won't be going to bowls. Uh, Ole Miss is ahead of them, and they're obviously banned for cheating. Uh, for for moral turpitude. Was it? Uh, for cheating. No, they were cheating. Moral turpitude. Um, and so if you're looking at it now, there are 13 teams that are ahead of Tennessee that are 5-4. and four. There are five more teams, uh, including Vanderbilt, that are 4-5. and five. Um, So Vanderbilt's got – who do they have left? Tennessee. 
They'll got to play Tennessee. They play Missouri this week. I think they have another game in there. Uh, might be. Ole, I think they play Ole Miss. So, um, yeah, they they could be in a situation where they're they're much more like they're in like the top five of the APR. The top five of the APR is like Duke, Northwestern, Air Force. Shocker. So and so. Um, Shocker. And so uh, there's five teams of, that are four and five. Uh, three teams have six losses and four have seven. So four. Arkansas is still technically on this list. They're also ahead of Tennessee, but not. They're still way down in the pecking order. So. All that is to say is that this is probably not going to happen, so we should stop talking about it. Moreover, not only are there going to be probably enough teams to fill all the bowl slots, um, last year there weren't any five and seven teams. Two years ago I think there were two, and three years ago I think there were three. So we didn't have any last year. Uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be a need for them this year, but things can happen, things change. Um, and, or Tennessee but, but can from, go seven and five. Yeah, but from your Tennessee standpoint, you probably should just go ahead and try to win two of these last three games. Or, as you mentioned, win all three of them, you go seven and five, and how di- how different would the tone change about this season if you go seven and five and you finish four and four in the league? I mean, with this, with, they might need to build a statue yeah, of Jeremy Pruitt if that happened. I, I've, I've said all along if they get to six, they don't need to build a statue, but maybe a plaque. If you know, maybe a uh, maybe he gets to be an honorary uh, VFL getting a plaque or something. It'll be called like the the Jeremy Pruitt Letterman Center or something over there. <laughs> no, just kidding. They're just kidding. Laura Sell family. They're not going to take it away from you. But yeah, the, there's if if he gets this team. I said from the beginning of the season. I said watching them in camp. Uh, I said watching them in spring. Said all through camp, early in the season, I said I've never strayed from this being a five and seven team. This just looks like a five and seven football team to me. Um, but maybe it will end up being better than that. We we could see. I mean, it it, it wouldn't be shocking. But uh, this to me just looks like a five and seven team. But if they want to get one step closer to not being a five and seven team this week, they're going to have to contain a couple guys from Kentucky. One of them is Lynn Bowden, who is just completely underrated. I love that guy as a receiver, playmaker. That guy does a lot of good things for Kentucky. But the big man for Kentucky is obviously Benny Snell, who Tennessee fans should be very familiar with. He's been there for about 13 years now, and he has become a beast. He was really good as a freshman, uh, and he's just kind of consistently improved throughout the year. He is up there near the top of – uh, he's leading the SEC in and near the top nationally in rushing yardage per game. He's a big time player. However, however, Patrick, you were mentioning some some interesting stats earlier that he has not been performing so well lately. He's been, uh, he's been a little was banged I, up. Was he's I saying a, that? He's been a little banged up. Yeah, he's got a little bit of ankle deal. I don't. He's fine. Um, first of all, the main stats are that Kentucky has run all over Tennessee the past two years. Uh, two years ago, it was four hundred forty three yards. Um, that was when they had Boom Williams. Yep. Uh, Tennessee won that game because they had Josh Dobbs. Josh and Dobbs, Alvin the Kamara. Josh and, Dobbs, the Kentucky killer. And John Mal- Kelly. Malone. Uh, yeah, Malone was part of that part of that team. I think they were in all the, orange the, that day. The older Wolf. They've had some some guys uh, make plays against Kentucky. And then last year, Snell had 180 yards and three touchdowns. He was like six yards a carry, I think. Um, but yeah, the last four last five games, Snell has not gotten over 100 yards. Um, and three of those teams, let me pull this up. Da, 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 where is it? I'm trying to figure out who the three teams were. The three teams were that what? Ah, yes. South Carolina, Missouri, Georgia were able to hold Snell to less than four yards per carry, which is pretty good for a guy that, that's, you know, a physical runner that Jeremy Pruitt has said this week is hard to tackle with one guy. 
It's yeah. hard to get a good clean hit on him. And so you, there's a lot of those situations where he's falling forward or picking up tough yards or he takes a run where there's nothing there and gets three yards out of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think – and I think Kentucky's scoring issues, as we mentioned earlier, they're down because they're really one-dimensional. Yes. If you can slow them down and keep Snell contained, if you can keep Wilson from running wild on you, your chances of winning go up because Kentucky can't throw the ball. Uh, you talked you talked about Bowden. Wilson's uh, got a nice arm, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He's, he's not he's, accurate with he's it. He's a big play guy, uh, but they don't have anybody else that's got more than two hundred yards receiving. I mean, these are like some really low numbers on this on this team. Now, C.J. Conrad's the tight end. You got to worry about him, and they've got yeah, a couple other sort of big play guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're Tennessee, you're you're selling out to stop the run this week. I mean, that's your main. You're, you'll take your chances and say, you know, if Kentucky beats you throwing the ball, you tip your hat and you call him your daddy, like Pedro Martinez did yeah. said about the Yankees back in the day. Um, that said, it's going to be for for Tennessee's pass defense in this game. It's going to be about two things to me. It's going to be about getting off the field on third down. If you do get ten, if you do get Kentucky in third and passing situations, yes. You've got to be able to don't let Wilson get, get off the field. Exactly. Don't let Wilson get out of the pocket. Yeah, you can't let him extend plays. You have to keep him contained. You can't let him scramble. They gave up a couple scrambles last week uh, against Charlotte. And this guy runs and, a lot better than Evan Sheriffs did. Yes, uh, and, and then the other thing is, is big plays. And we've seen and we've seen they Bowden's the guy that can uh, take the top off the defense, and he can take a short pass and and break a tackle, make a guy miss, and go to the house. So it's about limiting big plays, which Tennessee again did good. Did, did pretty well last week against Charlotte, but that was Charlotte. Um, and Kentucky has some, um, you know, they've got better skill positions, talent, uh, talent than Charlotte does. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're Tennessee, you have to do what you did last week. Your your front three has to front four really, if you want to throw Daryl Taylor in there. And I'm interested to see if they're going to go with um, other. Are, are they going to do four down defensive linemen some in this game? That that would be an interesting situation. That's a good where question because you, when when Kentucky breaks the pocket there with Wilson, you're going to want to have some some more athletic guys out there, but you're going to have to stop them from taking Snell right off the gut on you. So. Yeah, and you know maybe the hypothetical thing where you've got your normal three, and then you you throw Emmett Gooden, maybe put him outside as sort of another traditional defensive end as opposed to an outside. Yeah, linebacker. they did that last so, week. Uh, will you do that? Uh, Gooden, uh, Emmett Gooden and John Mincy both thought had decent games last week. I think, I think they warranted more playing time. Uh, well, Kentucky, they've got, when Gooden's good, he's pretty good. They got, they've got Kentucky's got, I think, more offensive line talent than Tennessee. Like correct, by far. Yes, um, there's not talking, even a question. Talking in my mind. to uh, Derek Terry, you did better know a foe with him. He's our, he's our cat's. You can guy. always trust a 24/7 rider with two first names. <laughs> always. Uh, he pointed out that Kentucky has four former U.S. All uh, All-American All American uh, All Game guys mm-hmm. on their offensive line. Yep, uh, they got two four stars. That's more than Tennessee's got. Well, Tennessee's got two four stars who uh, have not necessarily yeah. been performing like four stars. But no, um, and, and all these guys are they're veterans. They're third, fourth year players. They're big. They're all three hundred plus pounds. They look like what you want an SEC offensive line to look like. They've been in the program. They've waited their turn because they've had some good offensive lines ahead of them. Um, and even the, even the, the quote unquote three star guys, I think Bunchy Stallings was you know he might have been preseason all SEC. Mm-hmm. He was on the ballot. I know that. Um, they got a couple other guys. Great There's name. A lot too. of experience. Um, and and they even don't have one of their best guys. Uh, I think Landon Young is is one of their other four stars. He's out. But uh, left tackles a USC transfer. So they've got they've got some good players up front. It's not just Snell. Um, 
they've got some really good players up front, and, and Tennessee's going to have to do a good job of uh, – it's going to be up to the defensive line. Not, nece- not necessarily to disrupt, but they're going to have to hold up, hold up at the point of attack and keep keep those offensive linemen off the linebackers so that Batuli and Kirkland can make plays. I and the run Kirk- fits have to be good. The run yeah, fits have yeah. to be on Kirk- the line. Kirkland – Kirkland had probably his best game of the mm-hmm. season last week. Yep, uh, and this I agree. Is a, this is another game that maybe better suits him because Kentucky's you know, sort of a, between the tackles running team. And so uh, that's where he can use his instincts and his intelligence and his ability to sort of recognize and replays and, and go make plays. Uh, this isn't a space game necessarily. But yeah, Kentucky he, might do some things that, that try to get him out in space. They haven't thrown the ball much to Snell or uh, A.J. Rose, the other. I think they're back up who's more of a – a little bit more explosive maybe than Snell is. Snell's more of a, a bruiser, if you will. Not that he can't run when he gets out in the field, but still. Um, yeah, he's, are, he, he's not he's not the big play guy. He's the yeah, wham guy. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's what they're going to have to do up front, and, and they spent a lot of time on that this week, and, and certainly that's going to be their emphasis. And um, I, I would expect Jeremy Pruitt to have Tennessee with a good game plan in this game. Yeah, to me, to me, I think even if you go with four down linemen, I think you need to have Batuli and Kirkland on the field together in this game uh, to support the run. But if you want to know just how good Snell can be when he's really good, uh, we all saw that Florida defense was pretty decent, right? I mean, that Florida offense is what it is, but the defense is, is pretty solid at times. Snell had 175 yards on 27 carries against Florida. That was a long time ago. I know. There's I know. been a lot of games and wear and tear since But then. also, also – Mississippi State, which still has, I believe, the best scoring defense in college football. Shout out, Shoop shout out, up. shout out, Bob Shoop, who all of a sudden stopped being an idiot again as soon as he left Tennessee. Maybe he just wasn't an idiot when he was at Tennessee, and people need to realize that. But uh, against Mississippi State, top scoring defense uh, in college football. Close, close your eyes if you don't want to hear this. Mississippi State, Benny, Benny Snell had 165 yards and four touchdowns on 25 carries. So. Uh, he can, and, and we all know how good Mississippi State's defensive line is, right? Like we, that's a really, really, really good defensive line uh, with lot, with some for, future pros, guys like Sweat. They got some really good players there, and he just ran all over them. However, uh, for the past five games, he has not had 100 yards, as you mentioned. The one uh, game was Vanderbilt, where he had 169 yards on 32 carries. So this is the guy. Tennessee has got to contain him. If Tennessee can contain this guy, then – it could be a situation where they got they got a chance, they got a chance because you look at it and like you said, Patrick, they've scored. Uh, this is their past four, past five games. Kentucky has scored twenty four points, fourteen points, fourteen points, fifteen points, and seventeen points. So not not uh, not a prolific offense, but a team that's got a bunch of grizzled veterans, a team that's tough. Here's what I'm wondering, Patrick. Does history matter? Because we've seen time and time again when Kentucky comes to Neyland Stadium, Kentucky does things that it only does when it plays in Neyland Stadium. It has not won. I'm pretty sure Kentucky Kentucky has won one time at Neyland in my lifetime, zero times in your lifetime, correct? The only win was in 1984. Last win that Kentucky had in the own stadium. So it was nearly four years before I was born. I was two years old when that was the case, and I was twelve uh, years old. Two, just two, just two. <laughs> I was the only person on the GoVoss twenty four seven four man staff who was alive the last time that Kentucky beat Tennessee. Also, 
coincidentally, that was the last time Kentucky was seven and two through nine games was 1984. Does history matter? Does playing in Neyland Stadium make Kentucky do things that it doesn't normally do? And does it give Tennessee a better chance to win this game? Because you're yeah. gonna you're gonna see a lot of blue in Neyland. I think people are gonna be stunned by how much. Kentucky Big Blue comes to Neyland Stadium on Saturday because if you're a Kentucky fan, a lifelong Kentucky fan, I don't know. I have a home home game Friday night. Hoops. But if you think if you're a lifelong, you can get up and down the highway pretty quickly. If you're a Kentucky fan and you think, well, Tennessee just got a really good recruiter there as a coach. That this might be as good as Kentucky's going to be. Uh, I think I need to get or, there for this game. I need to. I think you're going to see a lot of Kentucky people come down I-75 and come to this game. Or if they do that, they're probably like Michael Scott in the office. I'm ready to get hurt again. <laughs> <laughs> I am ready. I've been to X number of Tennessee games in, or Kentucky games at Neyland, and they've all ended the same way. Some people probably won't show up because they don't want to uh, subject themselves to that again, just the potential of it, even though uh, like a Tennessee Kentucky fan, is a better team. Like a Tennessee fan going to the Swamp. But this is only a you know two-hour, three-hour drive for uh, most people in Kentucky, and it's in, in, in its – if you were a Tennessee fan going to Florida, that's a long drive or a flight. So I, I don't, I don't think the historical component is going to matter in this game because it's a lot of history, though. Yeah, but Kentucky already got bigger monkey off their back in terms of historical streaks. And they beat Florida this year. That was a thirty-one game. They, you know, that's that's an every year deal. That's not an every two year yeah, deal. Tennessee's a blood rival for the Cats, uh, though. And Florida's not. Not, not, not to that level. No. Still, I mean, it may have gotten to that level given you know, 31 years. Uh, so they, I don't think they'll be phased by that. And plus they beat Tennessee last year. So, and a lot of the players that were part of that game and part of that team are still here. So they're not going to show up and say, Hey, we can't beat these guys. Um, I think the bigger question for Kentucky is, is there going to be a hangover or a letdown? Cause not or, only, or are they not, just sore? Not, not only coming off just the Georgia game, but you had a, you four or five weeks in a row there. I think they had an open date somewhere in there. Um, but you beat Florida and you beat Mississippi State in September. And now you're playing, you're ranked, you're, you're, you're the hunted. You're, the, you're playing big games every week. Yep. You've got a chance to win the division. People on CBS are starting to every, see Kentucky football, basically. Every, I'm, I'm just saying every game you play once you set yourself up for the rest of the season with a strong first month, I mean – Kentucky being good was still sort of a novelty going into October. Yeah. Well, then they uh, – but then at that point, it's like – Played a really good game at A&M and lost, too. That was a good football game. Uh, but, like, yeah, I mean, you, you play so many, like, high-pressure, high-intensity games where you wonder, can you keep doing that after you, what you were chasing is now out of your out of your grasp? And not to mention that, you know, last week was the biggest – probably the biggest football game in Kentucky's history. Yeah. Uh, they've never won the division. They had the division on the line. They had Georgia in town. Um, the atmosphere was wild, I'm sure. I didn't get to hear much of it because we were watching the it putridness. Pre- it looked pretty wild in the stands. It looked pretty lit, if you will, uh, even though Georgia took control pretty early. but One could suggest it was lit. Um, can, can any team, even a team with so many veterans and so many uh, you know, guys that – you know, so many guys like Allen and Snell and those, all those guys. Can you do this six weeks in a row? If you've done it five weeks in a row, you're talking high intensity, high pressure pack games, or you got to get up for it. You got to, you got to bring it. Now, maybe they didn't bring it against Vanderbilt, where it was fourteen to seven. They had to kind of grind that one out. Uh, maybe that's kind of a classic but, Kentucky. But Vanderbilt like they, game, 
can you do that? Can you keep doing that? And Kentucky still has plenty to play for. They could still win 10 games. First time, I don't think they've done that since 1977. It's 41 years. Um, obviously, they've got Tennessee left, which uh, if they could beat Florida, Kentucky, or if they could beat Florida, Tennessee, and Louisville, Louisville's terrible, by the way. Kentucky could name its score in that game. Yeah, if Kentucky doesn't beat uh, Louisville, then it's got problems. And, and Kentucky should relish a chance to put the final nail on the Bobby Petrino coffin. I don't know how he's not been fired already, given that they just gave up 77 to Clemson. Um, but it seems like he's going to be available. Can, they, the can they afford it with everything they're having to do? Like uh, I'm sure they can. They're Louisville. They got Papa John's money. Got... They kicked him off the board, though. Did they? Yeah. They still got his money, though, right? I would imagine so, yeah. I think <laughs> access to it. Anyways... KFC money. Um, I just, I think the bigger that's, question yeah. is more than the history is can Kentucky keep bringing it every week? Because uh, that's hard to do. That's hard to do for every team. We saw it, um, and there were a lot of behind the scenes sort of turmoil with the 2016 Tennessee team. But you saw they had that start where they were, you know, pressure pack games, big time games, games as, you know, the hunted, so to speak. And then uh, they finally just sort of ran out of steam. I think it was Alabama that they ran out of steam. Yeah, uh, uh, and that was before it, that was before all the late season turmoil. So I don't I don't think Kentucky's having that sort of behind the scenes sort of a, a, and, a mess. And, and, and Georgia takes a lot out of you too. Georgia's too. a big, it's a, strong, it's a physical team. Physical they ran for 300 something yards um, on the ground. Uh, DeAndre Swift is still breaking ankles in the secondary. <laughs> that guy's a different I, player. I think healthy, I think it's safe to say he's back. Yeah, uh, and and he's a well well that's not that's down the road, but. Um, yeah, you, you, I don't, I don't think they're gonna show up to Neyland and be like, oh gosh, we've lost however many row here, and that's gonna be the thing. The thing is, is it's gonna be, uh, this is a team we should beat, um, you know. But can you get up for it? Can you bring the same intensity that you've had? Even though, sure, you've got a lot to play for, but you still got to go out there and bring it. And you know, Tennessee, they had sort of their lackadaisical game last week, so they should be pretty fired up and pretty intense. You know, they should be. Raring to go to to uh, to beat Kentucky because it's never even even in a year like this. If you're Tennessee, you don't want to lose to Kentucky, and and you've got a chance to beat a ranked team for the second time this season. That's pretty that's a pretty big deal if yeah, you're Jeremy Pruitt in this program. Um, I'm not even sure Derek Dooley ever beat two ranked teams, and and Butch Jones got one his first year, but I don't think he got one until his third year. Mm-hmm. So if you can do that two times in ten games, that's a that's a big selling point for Tennessee in terms of getting this program back quicker than. Uh, maybe it seemed at different points of the season, but you got to go out and win the game. But yeah, I just my question is 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 Kentucky is there going to be hangover both mentally, uh, psychologically, physically? You pointed out, um, and, and and I think that that's maybe a bigger question mark than the historical component of they haven't won since George Orwell's 1984. There's one. There's a lot of when you look at the matchups in this game. There's a lot of things for, from Tennessee side that that if things are equal, if guys are relatively healthy, or both teams are banged up, if things are roughly you know, roughly even. There's a lot of matchups that you don't like for Tennessee here, but there's one matchup that I do really like for Tennessee in this game. If Tennessee can keep the quarterback upright a few times and Garantano can chuck the ball downfield, I really like Tennessee's physical big receivers against this Kentucky secondary. I like that matchup. I just do. Uh, I think Tennessee – and if you listen to – to uh, the the younger Stoops talk this week all the time. Every time he talked about Tennessee, what's been one of the first things he's brought up? Those big physical wide receivers on the outside that are hard to cover one-on-one. If Tennessee can get the ball downfield 
and Jawan Jennings is back out there healthy. And you got Josh Palmer, who's now second nationally, by the way, in yards per catch at 23 yards per catch, which is just a stupid good number. Only uh, that really good player at Iowa State has has a has a large one. Think about it like this: he's got more yards per catch than Jerry Judy does. So he, this is a this is a legit big play threat. Tennessee has now in Palmer. And then you got Callaway doing the things he does. So you've got, you know, basically three small forward-looking guys out there on the perimeter who can go out there and make plays. And if Tennessee can just keep Garantano upright just for a couple seconds, you know, or they can move the pocket, do something to get the ball downfield, I like some of the matchups there. And I also don't think Kentucky's got a guy who's a really great matchup against Dominic Wood Anderson, who – is now that his hamstring has gotten better, starting to look like a guy who was one of the top JUCO tight ends prospects in the country. He, he's a big, strong, physical guy who made a really great catch in traffic last week on a beautiful ball dropped over the shoulder by Garantano. So you've got some matchup advantages there if you can play around your matchup deficiencies. Tennessee's got a chance to make some plays in this game. They really are. They're there to be made on the perimeter. I don't know how many teams in the SEC, save for Alabama, have better wide receivers than Tennessee. I don't know how many do. I think there's a really good receiving core there. Yeah, I I think in both of Kentucky's corners, uh, Derek Beatty and Chris Westry are both they're they're six three and six four, so they got some length over there. So those if they're there's a bunch of 50-50 balls in this game. Should, this should be a good battle. This yeah. should be fun to watch. I still like the um, physicality of Tennessee's receivers. Uh, yeah, and, and – Palmer's making really tough catches now. And, and they've, I think they've moved Juwan Jennings in the slot more a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then um, not the last game. But uh, – and that's, that's you know, again, that's trying to create a matchup over the middle of the field where he's more effective than he is right now going deep because he's, he's not – he never was the fastest guy, and he's not, he's not moving the best right now. Uh, Wood Anderson's a guy that you got to keep working. I'm interested to see how if he doesn't have to stay in a block. They need the Tyson Helton. They they need the Tyson Helton that that called the South Carolina game to show up in this game because they're going to have to scheme some things. Get in a rhythm. Yeah, they're going to get in a rhythm. They're going to have to scheme some things, and I think the, one of the best ways to do it is to try to, uh, you know, stress the perimeter, make Kentucky defend the whole width of the field. Because um, if you do that, you suck them in, and then you go over the top. Yeah, and you can you can loosen them up a little bit, and, and maybe the best way if you have a bad offensive line is to do things where your offensive line doesn't have to really do much for the play to be successful. Do and what it, Mike Leach does, have them line up like six yards apart. And so <laughs> if you're running wide, you don't got to really worry about it. And I'm talking like jet sweeps, swing passes. We saw a lot of that against South Carolina. Uh, I'm interested to see how much they're going to work Carlin Phil's and me into this game plan because he's a guy whose speed can mm-hmm. uh, can get to the perimeter and, and – Couple that with something that that uh, again our buddy Derek um, pointed out is that the Kentucky two linebackers both have like hand or wrist injuries and have been are going to be in clubs, and so if you want those guys running sideline to sideline and reaching and trying to grab guys with with club hands, it's hard to do. I don't know if you've ever played with a club or try to you know no. if you're if you're listening at home you should just wrap your hand up and like. Uh, in like a shirt or something, and then try to like do normal tasks. Oh, I was it's a catcher. Probably, I was a catcher. So you talk about some broken fingers and stuff. Probably, I'm, I'm all on that it's team. It's difficult <laughs> to probably grab things, and so I'm getting real technical here. Um, and, and so it, that's you know that's something that uh, uh, we saw Mississippi State do against Auburn. I don't think Tennessee did as much against Auburn when they were kind of hitting their head against the wall trying to run it in, inside where Auburn was really good. But we saw them do a every little, first down play. <laughs> we saw them do a little bit more side to side stuff. Uh, against South Carolina, and it was working. Um, and so 
Uh, I think if you're Kentucky, you're you're going to try to take away those those deep balls, those vertical passes, and and, and Tennessee's going to have to try to find a way to not only generate big plays, but uh, they're going to have to stay in front of the sticks because if you're if you're third and twelve, you got no shot. And they, Tennessee's been decent on third down in some games this season, uh, with Garantano making some plays. Callaway's had a good game catching passes on third down last week. Dom, uh, what Anderson had, two, I think two of his three catches were on third down mm-hmm. to convert. So, and Garantano's been money. Um, He's been third down they, money. They've been effective on those plays, but you can't you can't keep living and dying on third down. That's third just, and long, especially. Yeah, especially with with number forty one coming off the edge. So um, it, it's it's a tough matchup for Tennessee's offensive line, but I think the uh, the staff. Uh, as they collaborate on the game plan and, and go into Saturday, they have to determine what are the best ways to sort of, I don't say neutralize their own weakness, but make sure that their weakness is not maybe as exploitable, if you will. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing before we get out of here. I'll tell you one thing I really want to see from Tennessee in this game offensively. Another I want, flea flicker. Well, yeah, because that's – two for two, right? Yeah, but uh, that – The fleas one, have been flicking. The, the fleas were flicking, but, man, Garantano took a big hit on that flea flicker last week. <laughs> He Do you think last week he called flop. a flea flicker and was like, <laughs> was like maybe like choking up? He's, yeah. He's called, All right, guys, we're gonna run the flea flicker. Yeah. Hold, hold on, I'm trying to get my breath. <laughs> this one's gonna hurt. <laughs> but yeah, here's here's what I want to see. I want to see some some trips formations, and I want to see Tennessee getting rid of the ball very very quickly on some of those wide receiver screens, where basically you've almost got two wide receivers as like pulling offensive linemen, because you see this stuff in the NFL. <clears throat> And it works. And I, if Ty Chandler's healthy, I would do some formations where you line up with him in the backfield. You put him out in motion to create basically a trip set on one side where he's a third wide receiver. You throw him a screen, and you have guys like Jennings and Callaway blocking for him to go. Try to get them and, leveraged. And Walker extraordinaire Tyler Bird. Yeah, try to get them lined up either three on two or, or three on three, get a hat on a hat, and make a play. Because if Ty Chandler is anywhere near healthy and you can get him on the perimeter in that situation, I think he can make plays there. And I think Fields and me could too, actually, if he can catch the ball. So there is there is hope for Tennessee. Opportunity is now here, not nowhere, if you stay within the game plan and if you game plan it well. This is not – this Kentucky defense is solid and it's got a great player in Allen who's a first-round pick and another uh, draft pick there in the secondary. But – this is not Alabama. This is not Georgia. You can make mm, plays. Pretty good. It's good. It's good. It's not that good. Well, nobody's that good, Wes. I know, but that's what I'm saying is Auburn <laughs> Auburn was also a team that what? Pretty good on defense. Not great. South Carolina on defense, pretty uh, decent. I think Kentucky, not great. Uh, they might have a better defense. But they're Auburn. in that they're in that they're in that ballpark. They're not in the Georgia Alabama ballpark. I don't think. Athletically, no. they're just not, no. aside from a couple guys. So they don't athletically overwhelm you. What they usually do is keep you in front of them, and they contain, and they do a really good job of that, and they stick to their game plan and their discipline. They fit the gaps properly. Don't make a lot of mistakes. They're really, don't beat themselves. They're really well coached, and, they're really, and they've got a lot of juniors and seniors who know what they're doing, which helps. They got that on both sides of the ball. If you're Kentucky, that's what you do. You cycle up, right? You're Kentucky and Vandy. You can't recruit with the big boys in the SEC every year. So what do you do? You take your lumps with the young team every few years, and then you cycle up, and you get those guys by the time they're upperclassmen ready to play. And But I think this team should not athletically overwhelm Tennessee. It really shouldn't. 
So if you're Tennessee and you go out there knowing, I think you go out there knowing, if I execute, I can make plays today. And they have to do that enough to win the game because Tennessee's defense against that Kentucky offense, you, you, I think we know what kind of game we're going to see. Kentucky's going to run the ball pretty well, but Kentucky's not going to score like 40 points probably unless it has special teams plays and stuff like that or pick sixes. So I think if you're Tennessee, you go into this game with some confidence. I, I do believe that. Maybe I'm crazy. But well, I, you don't go into the game thinking, wow, we can't beat this team. Like you do against Alabama? Well, everybody does that against Alabama. I don't know what else you was thinking last week. They were full of themselves. They were trying it's like to – like the DJ Khaled gif. Congratulations. You played yourself. Yeah. That, that's, that was LSU last week. Yeah, that was – You thought you – no, you don't have – no. <laughs> you think you can – no, you can't. That Sorry. Alabama team is so good. <laughs> I'm not even sure Clemson can stay on the field with them. Uh, Clemson has a chance, but but to to hang in there. But I don't think anybody's beating this team. I just don't. Is Clemson going to stay within two touchdowns of them? Mm-hmm. I I mean, Trevor Lawrence is really good, but the ACC is really bad, like really really bad. Yeah, he's a is. freshman. It is, it is. So Patrick, you really don't want to talk about targeting before we get out of here? No. Um, I, I Pruitt's thing has been uh, his issue is that. Both of Tennessee's targetings this year, uh, Alante Taylor against Charlotte and Daniel Batuli against Auburn, uh, were were not like defenseless receivers or defenseless players. That's his big point, and he think, and I think he feels like that's the intent of the rule is that not necessarily ball carriers. Um, and his issue is that in both of those situations, Tennessee's defenders had started had initiated where they were going to make contact, mm-hmm. and then the ball carrier either slid or because he was getting tackled by two other guys, his head went down as I go away from the microphone to illustrate my point. Yeah. And so that's his issue. Um, and and I, I, I don't I don't know that I like the whole, if you get a targeting, you're ejected. Like, why why if you get a targeting ejection in one game should you miss this, the first half of the next game? That just seems kind of dumb to me. Seems that like- seems overtly – and it seems like a lot of the targeting is that we see. Maybe you sit out two quarters no matter what. You just sit out the next two quarters. And, and, and a lot of the targetings that you see aren't necessarily the ones where guys are headhunting or Correct. you're trying to take out a defenseless receiver or you're blindside blocking a guy. Now, the Florida Vanderbilt one, that was that was intent. Yeah. That, that's a good intent one. Um and I get Pruitt's frustration because you have two guys kicked out of games, and then against South Carolina, Ty Chandler gets targeted along the sideline when he was a ball carrier. Helmet-to-helmet hit, launching, all that stuff, not called. Um, and so I, I get his frustration with it. Um, and do you have to start wasting timeouts to get people to review targeting plays? Yeah, and I think his his he was also perplexed by the Batuli play because it wasn't called live. It was buzzed down, and then they reviewed it, and then you get a penalty. And so, you know, I get his frustration with it. Um, I, I do think they need to look at the rule because it's very sort of all over the place in how it's applied. And it's game hard. To game. And if you're a coach, you want to protect your players. You want to protect the game of football if you're a coach. That's what you want. But you you need to be able to coach the game. You yeah. need to be able to tell your guys, this if, is how I, you should tackle, if yes. I coach you to do this and you do it this way, you will not be penalized. That That's something that, that is tough. And, and I think – the, the the thing with running quarterbacks, I'm not saying that there should be different rules. Yeah, Pruitt had, Pruitt had a good point about this on, on ball calls. This has bothered me before, that if you're a running quarterback, 
there are times where you're trying to run over somebody, and then there are times where you say, screw it, I'm going to slide. How do you know as a defender which one it's going to be? Be Because if you're a quarterback who runs every week, you're a guy who gets out of the pocket and runs and and makes some plays that way, you are a running back as soon as you tuck the ball and start running. Pruitt's line was great this week because he was like, if you want to run the ball, that's your choice. <laughs> yeah, you're not defenseless. You want to run with the ball. That's your choice. You made that decision. You got to live. With that's it. the thing that bothers me, and the thing that bothers me the most. And I've said this since the beginning of the targeting rule. I will say this very, very quickly in a few seconds, and get out of the way. If you are a defender, you have no idea what a runner is going to do when you get next to him. You, there is no way for you to know if he's going to dip his head. There is no way for you to know if he's going to slow down or slide. You don't know. And so if you lead, if you start your tackle and, and you are lunging very clearly toward the strike zone and then a guy dips his head, that should never be a penalty. That It shouldn't because you are leaving at a time. You are. It, it's like in, in baseball, a strike is called when the ball crosses the plate, not where it's caught. And if you are launching to make a tackle – in a safe zone, and then the guy dips his head, that should be the ball crosses the plate when you are leaving to make your tackle. And if the guy, like if the ball dips after that, it's still a strike. To me, it's the simplest rule, and it's something you could look at on film and you could say, where was the offensive player when the defensive player started his tackle or started his his lunge toward the tackle? That, to me is the most common sense way to, to, to address this rule. I don't think you can make it 100%, but I think you can make it a lot better if you do what the world has so very little of these days, some common sense. Yeah, to me, I think targeting calls should be, if, if you're going to kick a player out of a game and potentially have him sit for the next game, it's got to be egregious. Like It's got to be like intent. It's got to be like, a hit where uh, he could have avoided that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's got to be obvious. In uh, plays like that where you look at it and you're like, not like not every helmet-to-helmet contact is targeting. Correct. That's not – football is a violent sport. It's a collision sport. Helmets are going to collide. It's just part of the game. Um, if it's a situation where you look at it and you're like, yeah, there's helmet-to-helmet contact, but could he really have avoided it, that shouldn't be targeting. You, and if you want to amend the rule to where if you judge it that way – like in the NBA, they have flagrant one and flagrant two. If you've got like targeting one and targeting two, where it's like, okay, we'll we'll penalize you, we'll give you 15 yards for this, but we're not going to kick you out of the game. Yeah, for something like that. Targeting maybe, one, maybe targeting two. Could maybe work. that's a way where targeting two is the egregious, egregious one, where it's like you were head hunting, you were going for hunt, you know, you led with the crown of your helmet and hit him in the helmet, in the face mask, whatever. Like, like to play Evan Berry, Texas A&M, yeah, on the kickoff, where he got a crown of the helmet right in the middle of his face mask. Like, that should have been targeting, even though he was a runner. Yeah. Um, and how it wasn't called, I don't I don't know. That That's that's the frustration with the rule, though, is that you see plays like that that should be called. You see plays like that where you see Ty Chandler get hit, crown of the helmet to the helmet, and you're wondering, why is that not called? You see a play where early in the year Alexis Johnson gets peel back block, helmet to the face mask, not called. You, you see plays like that, and you wonder, how is that not called, whereas Daniel Batuli makes a tackle where you, nobody in real time even noticed it and said, hey, that's targeting. It should be, like, egregious, and it should be obvious. If you're going if, to – if the penalty for targeting is going to be you're kicking a guy out of the game for, uh, you know, a half, or he has yeah. to miss the first half of the next game, 
you, it's it's got to be egregious. It can't be like an accidental kind of thing. It's got to be there's got to be a, a a line of intent to it. And it's hard to tell intent in a, on a replay in a real time. But if you if you if you see a play that you think is targeting and you ask yourself, is there anything the defender could have done differently? And if the answer is no, and you still have head to head contact, then maybe we shouldn't be kicking guys out of the game or calling targeting. That's that's probably my spiel on it. I just don't think if I, I don't think I, I get why Pruitt's frustrated. I don't too. think there's any way to know if you if you leave for a tackle and you're in a safe zone, it ought to be counted that way. That's what I think. That's what I think. And, and there's you know there's contact sometimes where defensive players are just lowering their own heads to race for the. Like I said, there's helmet to helmet contact in football. There's going to be not every helmet to helmet hit is targeted. I agree with that. I think that's a good place to leave it for the week, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, if uh, if we, we will have more on recruiting probably in the next podcast because Ryan was not able to show up today, neither was Grant. They had some stuff they had to take care of, so we should have more recruiting stuff next week. Uh, Tennessee's got some some big time visitors coming in this weekend. We'll have much more on that on the site at govos 247com where you can find us all the time. Call twenty four seven Sports for a reason, guys. Go to govos 247com Click on that checkerboard link. We are there all day to answer your questions day or night, etc. And see if you got a question like 6 a.m., Grant can answer it. If you got a question like after hours, I can answer it. We're we're there all the time. Uh, we're also there on social media. We are at twitter.com slash govals247 and Facebook.com slash govals247. I'm on Twitter at West Rucker247. Patrick Brown is on Twitter at PBrown247. Ryan Callahan is on Twitter at Ryan Callahan 24-7. And Grant Ramey is on Twitter at Grant Ramey. So we are there all the time, and we will answer your questions, and we are happy to do so. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Be safe this weekend if you're on the road traveling to games, and we will see y'all next week for definitely a football pod, and I'm guessing probably a Hoops podcast too. Pat, any final thoughts? Nope.